Welcome to the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts about democracy, civic engagement, and civil discourse. In this feed, you will find a sampling of episodes from our podcast and the Democracy Group, as well as recordings from our events. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please visit democracygroup.org to find more like this. Now let's get to our featured episode. Uh, welcome to the Democracy Group Twitter Spaces event. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Justin Kempf. I am the host of the podcast Democracy Paradox and your co-host for this event tonight. We want to encourage your participation, so please feel free to request to speak when you have a question. We love audience participation, and we've got some amazing guests here tonight to be able to answer questions for you about different issues uh, regarding uh, election law and campaign finance as well. Um, and speaking of which, I already mentioned that we're here with the team from the Campaign Legal Center, and my co-host for tonight is Simone Leeper. She is the legal counsel for gerrymandering cases and the host of the excellent podcast, Democracy Decoded. Hello, Simone. How are you doing? Hello. Hello, Justin. Thank you for that uh, introduction. I'm doing great. Very excited to be here tonight and uh, having this conversation. Well, Simone, since you know our two speakers better than I do, why don't you take a moment and just introduce our speakers for tonight? Yeah, absolutely. So we have with us tonight Trevor Potter, who is the president and founder of the Campaign Legal Center and also a former uh, Republican chair of the Federal Election Commission. Uh, Trevor, do you want to say hello? Hello, Simone. Hello, Justin. It's great to be with you. And then we also have Adav Nodi, who is a former staffer of the, uh, of the FEC. And, you know, Adav, I actually don't know your formal title at uh, CLC, so I will let you actually introduce yourself with the title. Uh, but uh, would you like to say hello as well? Yep. Thanks, Simone. I'm Adav Nodi, Vice President and Legal Director at Campaign Legal Center. Excellent. Well, I want to kind of kick things off tonight with... A simple question. Trevor, uh, Simone already mentioned that you are a former commissioner and chairman of the Federal Election Commission. So you seem like the perfect uh, person to ask the question, what is the FEC and why should we care about it? It is uh, just about the most important agency in Washington that you've never heard of and one of the most peculiar in terms of its setup. Uh, the Federal Election Commission is the only government agency that is tasked with the enforcement of our campaign finance laws uh, for campaigns for president and for Congress, for federal office. Uh, there are uh, six commissioners and the law says not more than three of any one party. And what that has generally meant is you have a lineup of three Republicans and three Democrats. Uh, so it's very unusual to have an odd numbered commission because it raises the question of how do you make decisions if there's a tie? And in the FEC's case, that is the crucial question 
because the law that created the FEC says it takes four votes to take any decision of the commission to open an investigation, to close an investigation, to make a finding that there is reason to believe the law was violated, to um, pursue that case, to issue rules, regulations, advisory opinions, you have to have a uh, supermajority, four of the six. And that, when I was there, generally worked. I think there was only one time where we had a 3-3 tie and a, and a deadlock and couldn't do something. I've always said I thought that was basically an accident. Uh, we didn't know we were going to tie. But today, it is what happens all the time. Uh, there is a block of three commissioners who, uh, on virtually every single major case, uh, do not favor going forward with investigations or uh, pushing for penalties and, and generally for enforcing the law. Their, their view, I think, is philosophically uh, aligned with the idea that less regulation is good. Having a uh, federal agency that regulates uh, and enforces the laws in the area of politics is, is bad. Uh, and so the, their performance there has been to make the commission uh, deadlock and uh, not proceed on any number of matters. Uh, and this is a problem because uh, it results in a great deal of uh, secret spending because the requirements that spending be disclosed, the true sources of spending uh, be made public, which is what the, the law does require, that's not enforced. And if it's not enforced, then people get away with not disclosing what they're doing. Uh, Adav was there working as a, a uh, senior lawyer at the commission for a number of years. Uh, so he may have more to say about it, but uh, that's certainly uh, my view. We have talked about the FEC in our uh, podcast, Democracy Decoded, at the Campaign Legal Center. When in episode four, Adav talks a fair amount about what sorts of problems this creates. So I want to remind everybody that if you do have a question, feel free to uh, request to be able to speak. I thought we had one just a moment ago, and I think the person might have jumped off. So don't be afraid to do that. We'll uh, we'll try to get those questions in. Um, Trevor just hinted at the fact that Adav had quite a bit to say about some of the issues that he was just talking about. Uh, I just listened to episode four not too long ago and was astounded at some of the issues behind the FEC. So, Adav, let, let me ask you a follow-up question. Is the FEC today, the way it's currently constructed, or at least the way that it currently behaves, is it broken? Yeah, I mean, broken might be a nice word for it. It's it's just not not functional in any meaningful way. I mean, it, it, you've got the agency that is the only federal agency in the nation whose sole job is to enforce the laws around money and politics. And for the reasons Trevor mentioned, uh, it's been now almost 15 years since it was a, a, a functional law enforcement agency. And so that means that, uh, you know, corporations and wealthy people and other special interests that have money to spend have been able to 
just buy large chunks of our uh, democratic process and really drown out the voices of voters and, and ordinary Americans. I, I want to hop in with a bit of a follow-up question um, for either one of you, uh, which is that obviously this seems like it's a huge problem um, and, and things are not working properly right now. And so I have a bit of a two-part question. One is what can be done to fix it? Who would have to act to make that happen? And then the second question is what can be done in the meantime? Is there any way that we can be enforcing campaign finance laws or what can we be doing until the FEC is fixed? This is Trevor. Let me dive in on the first part of that question, which is what can be done. Uh, the Congress could change the structure of the commission. That has been proposed by Campaign Legal Center and lots of other groups over the years. And in fact, that was an important element of the election bills that were before Congress earlier this year, that uh, the House passed and then the Senate Revised Senator Manchin, you may recall, had proposed uh, a, a election bill that included uh, FEC reform uh, that would have uh, removed the odd number of commissioners that would have given the general counsel more authority. Uh, and unfortunately, those bills uh, fell victim to the Senate filibuster. Uh, there, there was a majority uh, that would vote for it, but not the 60 votes needed to overcome a filibuster and proceed, and the Senate did not change those filibuster rules. So the obvious way, which is to have Congress change the composition of the commission, is for the moment not not open. Congress has is, is, uh, uh, made it clear they're the Senate, they're not going to change the filibuster rules, and therefore they're not going to be able to pass those FEC reforms. So I might then turn to Adav uh, for the second half of that question of, so what can we do in the absence of those reforms? Yeah, I mean, I think, that, you know, underlying the question is that, you know, there's a, a very significant portion of the problems in our democratic process right now that are attributable to the Federal Election Commission, right? I mean, there, there are, it's not the, the sole cause of, why, why Congress is non-functional, but it's, it's a big cause. Um, and that's particularly true in the case of what Trevor mentioned earlier, which is this, this you know, explosion of secret money that's come to dominate the system. And what I think isn't widely understood is that the FEC, without an act of Congress, without a new law, the FEC could stop that tomorrow. Right. That is a creation of the FEC, dark money, meaning money that comes into the system to affect uh, the results of elections without uh, transparency about where that money came from. That is a creation of the FEC and its inaction and its non-enforcement of existing law. So it wouldn't take an act of Congress to get rid of pretty much all the dark money in this country. All it would take is for the FEC to do its job. There is another way to do this, and Adav and his legal team at CLC have become particularly adept at it. And that is when complaints are filed uh, saying something should have been disclosed, that this was dark money that 
the true donor was required to be put on the public record that a uh, sham corporation was used to hide the source or there was coordination uh, between the candidate and the so-called independent spender, which would mean the spending was illegal and excessive. In all of those circumstances, uh, Campaign Legal Center uh, files complaints with the Federal Election Commission. And what Adav and the legal team have figured out is you can use the provision in the law that says if the FEC doesn't do anything after a period of time, then you can go to court and ask the court to order the commission to do something. And if they still fail to do something, you can go to court and ask for the right to directly sue the wrongdoer to enforce the law. That has been rare, but is becoming increasingly common. And uh, Adav and, and his team have had some success in getting courts to do exactly that, to order the commission to do what they weren't doing because they were deadlocked. I want to step in and give a shout out real quick to one of our uh, listeners. Uh, the Village Square is uh, is on the Twitter spaces at the moment. They're a member of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. So just give a quick shout out to them. And I'd like to move over to a follow-up question with Adav. Adav, you were talking about dark money just a moment ago and about how it creates um, a lack of transparency within within politics. I'd like to understand more about why political transparency is so important because one of the arguments that many have made to justify dark money is that it's it's simply just political speech. Um, is trans Explain why transparency is so important and whether or not getting rid of dark money would actually protect freedom of speech or whether it interferes with it. Sure. So transparency around spending uh, in elections matters, I think, for two main reasons. The first is that, you know, if you look at all the, the research that's been done uh, over many, many years into uh, how politicians act once they're in office. What are the things they do in office versus, say, what they promise to do during their campaign? The single biggest predictor of what a politician will do if they're elected is who funded their campaign, right? So if you have a candidate who, say, um, yeah, their, their campaign gets a lot of um, labor union support, that it is very likely that that candidate, regardless of what they say on the campaign trail, will support labor union positions when they're elected. Similarly, if, if a candidate gets most of their money from you know, the, the gun industry, they're going to do things that support the gun industry when elected. So voters who are trying to figure out who to vote for have a right, a legal right, to know who are the big spenders who are paying to get these people elected because that's how they're going to act. That's what they're going to do if they're in office. And that's how voters can, uh, uh, you know, make a decision about who they want to support with that information. The second reason that transparency matters is because most of modern campaigning, most of what this money is spent on 
is advertising, right? Digital advertising, social media, TV, streaming. It's all ads that are intended to persuade people to vote for or against candidates. And it's really hard to tell on the face of a, of a campaign ad whether you should believe it, right? If you see an ad that says, you know, Jane Smith is a terrible person and would make a terrible member of Congress don't vote for Jane Smith, it's very difficult to just tell from that whether that's true or not or whether you should believe it. And that's why there are laws and voters have a right to know who paid for those ads. Because that whole ad, if say you 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 know there's something on it that indicates it was paid for by the the Chamber of Commerce, well now you have a way to assess that message you were just subjected to, right? If you if you trust the Chamber of Commerce, you may well say, okay, I'm not going to vote for for Jane Smith. If you distrust the Chamber of Commerce, you may say, wh whoever they are opposing may be somebody I want to support. So transparency around advertising spending, which is most of political spending, uh, is hugely important to to voters. And so the, the argument that dark money is somehow a good thing because it's political speech, it's really apples and oranges. When we talk about getting rid of dark money, we're not talking about stopping those ads. We're talking about making sure people know who paid for them. That doesn't stop the ads at all. It has no effect. And there's a boatload of court decisions saying, you know, Disclosing who paid for an ad does not stop anybody from running the ad. It just gives the voters the information they're entitled to. So, go ahead. So you mentioned, yeah, absolutely. thanks, thanks, Justin. Um, so I think one of the things that we, I mean, we've been talking about dark money and and not you know knowing who's giving it, and and I wondered if we could just get a little bit into exactly the mechanics of how this money is hidden. Because, you know, I think a lot of people think that they know who's paying for their ads. They watch TV and oftentimes see, you know, paid for by X group. And so what are specifically, if you guys can talk about it, the loopholes here that are currently not uh, being covered? Sure, Simone. Um, one is that when people sit and watch an ad and it says at the bottom, paid for by... It may say paid for by Americans for a better country or uh, to borrow the Colbert line, Americans for a better tomorrow, tomorrow. Uh, you look at that, you have no idea who Americans for a better country are. Um, so let's say you choose to research it. You, you put it in and Google it. If it's an actual group, an organization, you may be able to learn something. But more likely than not, it's just a name they picked and put on their uh, uh, filing papers for the ad because you're required in the ad to have the disclaimer saying who paid for it. But whose money is it? Who's behind it? Who decided to make the ad? Who decided to attack that candidate? What's their agenda? You don't know if it's just a pretty bland name. Now, if they were playing by the rules, they would have had to file with the Federal Election Commission because they were making an expenditure in a federal election, and they would have had to disclose their donors. But they're not playing by the rules. So they've created an organization that's not required to file at the FEC, or so they claim, 
um, that its major purpose is not to be not political spending, uh, that it's doing all sorts of other things. And so it's a private organization that doesn't have to publicly disclose its donors. But it may be it was only created to run this series of ads and attack one candidate or support another. But as Adav has explained, the FEC doesn't enforce those rules. So they don't file any reports saying where their money is coming from uh, or who's making their decisions. Uh, they are uh, you know, a basically faceless organization uh, with you as the viewer cannot get any information about where their money came from uh, or why they decided to report, support one candidate or oppose another. And the Supreme Court itself has said that's the problem, that voters are entitled to know who is behind the advertising because they can make judgments about that based on that information. Uh, they can decide they like or dislike the views of the uh, special interest that is running and paying for that ad if they know who that is. Uh, and if it's a corporation, a public corporation running the ad, uh, they can support or oppose that corporation if they're a shareholder. But you can't know that if the name it doesn't say paid for by the specific corporation or paid for by the specific donors, which is why there are all sorts of proposals out there to say things like you have to disclose your top five donors uh, if you're not a political committee and not otherwise disclosing your donors. You have to put the top five donors on your ad so that somebody can figure out which side of the, of the political battle these uh, people are from. So I want to remind listeners that if you have a question Feel free to request to um, request to speak, and you can ask a question of one of our speakers tonight. Also, um, if you are on a computer, I think you're going to have some difficulty. But if you're on a phone using the Twitter app, that's actually the one that I think allows you to be able to re request to speak and to be able to ask a question. But um, I want to ask the question to Trevor that's probably on everybody's mind. Um, listening to the very first episode of Democracy Decoded, you uh, it focused a lot on the Stephen Colbert pack. And I learned that Trevor Potter here is was actually the 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 teacher that actually helped teach Stephen Colbert everything he knows about super PACs. So, Trevor, I, I wanted to ask you the question on everybody's mind. What's it like to meet Stephen Colbert? Trevor? He, he, it's intimidating because he's <laughs> really smart. Uh, he's also the world's nicest guy, which helps a lot. Um, but I, I'm not sure I would say I taught him. He was a very adept questioner and he just kept pushing and pursuing. What happens if I do this? What happens if I do that? Um, as he tried to figure out, uh, what the structure of the law was, because he didn't have any background in any of this. So what am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? 
And what don't, doesn't the law say I have to disclose this stuff? And I'd say, yeah, the law says that, but that's not how it's working. He'd say, oh, really? Well, well, tell me more. What, how do I avoid disclosing? And so he was very good at figuring out uh, the loopholes that other people were exploiting. And, and that's what made his Colbert Report discussions of money and politics and super PACs and all of that so good is that he could ask questions that would result in the audience understanding how it really worked and why it didn't work the way the, the law said it should. That, uh, that is fun to hear about, for sure. Um, and I know I loved watching that episode back when it came out and then being able to relive it on episode one of the podcast was a true joy. Um, I, I know we don't have you for too much longer, Trevor, and so I really wanted to just um, dig in and then Nadav, you can handle this second, um, sort of what you guys would identify as the greatest threats to our democracy in America today. Obviously, we've talked a lot about campaign finance, and that's a huge issue. But if you could boil down um, some of the other greatest threats that we're facing and that we're up against, um, I'd really appreciate hearing that from you. All right, I'll start and then turn it over to Adav to take it from there. Um, but I think it is that there, there's clearly a significant lack of of faith, uh, of confidence in our democracy. You know, part of that is the sense that uh, somehow the system is rigged, that uh, wealthy spenders, special interests uh, are able to buy access and influence. And as Adav has explained, that's true. Um, but that it's somehow done behind the scenes uh, so we don't really know who's buying access and influence. And again, that is also true uh, with, with dark money. Uh, so a, a sense that uh, somehow individual voices uh, are uh, not as important as major donors and that the system is not transparent. And, and that's been in polls uh, something that's shown up for a good decade. But on top of that, uh, coming out of the uh, last election uh, and the, the narrative, the false narrative, uh, that the election was somehow fraudulent and that the Electoral College uh, winner is not actually the, the winner of the election. Um, that narrative has increased, I think, public uh, disillusionment with the system, because there's a sizable portion of the country who believe that uh, the election results they were told about are somehow not the real results. Uh, and, and that makes it hard in a democracy, because you have to have a government that is seen as legitimate because it got into office as a result of a free and fair election with a vote counting system that is transparent and trusted. And unfortunately, what happened uh, is that the former president set out to poison that trust and tell people that uh, the election was somehow rigged against him and that if he didn't win, it was because of fraud. And obviously, people trust, many people trust their president and they trust their party leader. So uh, that has introduced a element 
of, um, I think, uh, significant uh, doubt about whether our system is, in fact, free, fair, and transparent. And so we do need to work to explain to people in, in great detail how elections are run, how absentee ballots are secure, how they are uh, examined and go through a verification system before they're opened and counted, uh, how the counting process works. We, we need to have, and this is something that Campaign Legal Center has pushed for for a while, a paper trail so that if there's any question about whether machines are working accurately or if they break down, there is a paper trail to follow and be able to do a paper vote count. Uh, that was done, of course, in a number of states after the uh, 2000 elect 2020 election. Uh, Georgia did it, I think, three times and verified the results every time. But that need, people need to see that uh, to rebuild confidence in, in our election system. Yeah, and, and picking up from that, actually, I, I completely agree with Trevor, right, that the, the, the main threat that we have overall to our democracy is is despair it's people giving up it's people thinking that the system's all rigged and nothing matters right and and a big part of what dark money is is trying to convince people that they don't matter right there have actually been dark money groups that have run ads targeted ads on social media to essentially people who they don't think are going to vote for the candidates they like, saying, your vote doesn't matter, the system's all rigged, and trying to convince people that they are irrelevant, the results are all decided. But in the end, and this goes back to Simone's question earlier about what, what can we do about this, in the end, your vote does matter, right? We are a democracy. No matter how many millions of dollars some super PAC or some dark money group spends, to try to, to control the results of the election, you have a right to go vote, right? And they cannot stop you from doing that. And so in the end, what matters is that we, we, we maintain our, our trust and our faith in, as voters in the fact that we are the ultimate decision makers, not the special interests. Uh, and if we all go and we vote, they lose. So as we look to wrap up, uh, I want to take just a moment and thank the speakers from the Campaign Legal Center. And I want to encourage everybody that if they want to know more about these topics, um, to listen to the podcast, Democracy Decoded. It is hosted by Simone Lieber and has episodes featuring Trevor and Adav where they talk more about some of these issues. And Simone, why don't you uh, take a moment and just let us know where we can learn more about other issues from the Campaign Legal Center? Absolutely. So you can head to our website, uh, campaignlegal.org, and look into any of our issue areas. Obviously, today we're talking about campaign finance, which is a huge part of the Campaign Legal Center's mission and work, but we also do voting rights work, redistricting, uh, ethics work, 
transparency in government. So there's a lot that we do and you can learn about us. We're campaign legal um, on Twitter, on Instagram, pretty much anywhere you'd go. And again, the podcast is Democracy Decoded and you can go to your favorite podcast app or over to democracydecoded.org to listen to that. And if I can put in a quick plug for tomorrow's episode, which is our season finale. And in terms of having hope for what we can do. And I found a lot of hope in Adav's last statement there. Uh, that's an episode about small dollar public financing that's going to be coming out tomorrow. And it really is an exciting and hopeful look at how people can make a difference in their own communities uh, and how we can start fighting this big spending. So uh, that was a long, a long way of saying, listen to uh, our podcast, find us online. And uh, thank you so much, Justin, for having us today. Hey, no problem. And I do want to emphasize that if you're interested in it, these are manageable episodes to listen to. Three of them are under 20 minutes. Um, you know, all of them are under 30 minutes. And so you can literally just binge on Democracy Decoded in a single night. We also have a few other podcasts here with us tonight um, from the Democracy Group. Um, beyond my podcast, Democracy Paradox, we also have the Village Squarecast who has joined us tonight, and Jenna Spinelli, one of the hosts of Democracy Works, is with us tonight. And I want to encourage you guys, everybody, to listen to other podcasts from the Democracy Group Network of Podcasts. Uh, Brandon, why don't you uh, step in, let us know about other ways to be able to engage with the Democracy Group. Yeah, thank you, Justin. Uh, so this is Brandon. I'm the network manager at the Democracy Group. I just want to quickly jump in and let you guys know that we have about 16 podcasts in our network. So lots of great content, uh, some related to what we spoke to tonight, um, others varying in topics from democracy reform, gerrymandering, voting rights, um, everything under the sun that you could think of. Uh, you can find us all at democracygroup.org. Um, and if you are keen to getting podcast recommendations, then we also have a newsletter that. uh, puts together episodes from across the network and you can find that at democracygroup.org slash newsletter. Thank you for listening to this episode from the democracy group. If you want more podcasts like this, then visit democracygroup.org. There you will find our events, topics, and a newsletter as well. So head on over to democracygroup.org.